This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Thambergas. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, USB drives, t-shirts, and more. And if you are a Veritas member or are thinking of becoming one, I have a surprise for you. For months, I've been looking for mobile device apps so that those of you with iPhones, iPads, and Android devices could listen to Veritas anywhere. Well, I want to thank a few beta testers who helped us in the past few days. Go to the members section and you will find instructions on how to get our shows on the go. Furthermore, now, we no longer have a limit of four shows for iTunes and the RSS feeds. With the introduction of these apps, we are now including RSS feeds with every single show. You will find separate feeds for each season. So, those of you who thought it was a bit inconvenient to download each interview manually, you are now taken care of. I'm always thinking of ways to make your very test experience better. I hope you enjoyed this amenity. And also, if you were planning to subscribe... Now it's the time. Go to VeritasRadio.com and just click on the subscribe link and the Veritas login will arrive immediately. 
and to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower. There is a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Now for tonight, I have a special treat for you. More and more, we hear the term ESP in the news, and even scientists are looking into it. I recently had the privilege of meeting tonight's guest in person, and I was very impressed with her research. I told her I had to bring her on and share her findings with you. Tonight's special guest is Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell. I will discuss her book, The ESP Enigma, The Scientific Case for Psychic Phenomena. We'll discuss Dr. Powell's research on the four basic psychic abilities. Telepathy, the ability to access someone else's consciousness. Psychokinesis, the ability for one's conscious intention to directly act upon physical matter. Clairvoyance, the ability to see something remote in space or time. And precognition, the ability to access the future. Some studies looked at large group of individuals with the hypothesis that psychic abilities may be an innate capacity in all of us. Others have researched individuals who seem to possess these abilities to an extraordinary degree. We also address another question. How could psychic phenomena be possible? There have been enough advances in science over the last 20 years to now propose an acceptable mechanism by which psychic phenomena could occur. This new model for the brain and consciousness has the potential to reshape not just our attitudes towards psychic phenomena, but also our understanding of our own minds. Get ready to have your preconceived notions challenged and expand your mind with Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell, right now on Veritas. Diane Hennessy Powell, MD, completed her training in medicine, neurology, and psychiatry at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. She's a former member of Harvard Medical School's faculty and of a part-time think tank on consciousness at the Salk Institute in La Jolla, California, and has published articles in neuroscience and neuropsychiatry journals. She lives in Medford, Oregon, and Los Angeles, California. And to learn more about Dr. Powell's stellar research and to buy her book, The ESB Enigma, The Scientific Case for Psychic Phenomena, visit her website at dianehennessypowell.com, which is also linked on her website. Well, hello, Dr. Powell, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Very good, thank you. It's good to be here. It's my pleasure, and I had, again, the pleasure of meeting Dr. Powell recently at a gathering of minds in Philadelphia a few weeks ago, and after I heard Dr. Powell, I knew that I had to introduce myself and, and invite her on the show and the book. What is this book about, and what was your goal, especially as a scientist dealing with psychic phenomena? Well, my book is an attempt to understand and help other people understand what is going on when people experience certain things, which have been in the past, they've been labeled things like telepathy, precognition, um, you know, the, you know, various um, strange events like synchronicities between people, the, the twins who were raised apart but had all of these phenomenal things in common, autistic savants 
who know things without ever having studied them? How are these things possible? And as a neuroscientist who had studied the brain and really knew the model very well, I could see shortfallings in it, that it really didn't explain even what it was trying to explain, you know, such as, um, you know, what consciousness is and how it arises out of something material like a brain. And so it, it, it's a model that doesn't even explain that, and yet it ignores these phenomena that people have experienced throughout time and space. I'm always curious as to how somebody develops certain skills. And for example, you were doing ninth grade math when you were seven years old, and you took graduate courses in physics as an undergraduate, and that was just for fun. How did all of this happen? <laughs> well, I, th I think that's a good question. I, um, I think that when you grow up and you have these skills, you really don't... I, I knew that um, I was different, but I didn't really realize how different I was. You just are so fast. I was so fascinated by science and math that, um, and it came so easily to me. I just took it for granted. And it, it's interesting. I was just thinking before this interview about, do you know who Magnus um, Carlsen is? The name sounds familiar. He's Norwegian. He is the number one chess champion in the world today. Mm. He started playing chess when he was eight. He was a grandmaster at the age of 13. At the age of 21, he was playing in tournaments where he would have be doing 10 chess games simultaneously, which in and of itself, I mean, that's not surprising. I mean, that's the way the chess tournaments are set up. But he actually was able to do it with his back turned to the boards, and he would make moves <laughs> without even looking at the board and win. That's really that when when you have someone like that, um, it's just it's mind blowing. And he was on Stephen Colbert. I heard about him before he was on Stephen Colbert, but he was on Stephen Colbert. I don't know, maybe six months ago or so. And Stephen Colbert was he, he didn't even know how to interview him. <laughs> he he would ask him questions and like, well, how is it that you do this? I mean, and and he just says, oh, I just do it. And and Stephen Colbert started joking around, saying, oh, you know, do, do the um, chess pieces talk to you or whatever? And he says, no, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he and so he just couldn't understand how he had that capacity. And then he said, let me play you a game of, um, you know, rock, scissors, and paper. And he said, I've got to, you know, whenever somebody's a champion like this, I have to compete with them. And so he said, two out of three. Well. They did it twice, and Magnus got it both times, and Stephen Colbert just got up, and he just—he was so blown away. And it makes you wonder, I mean, what is he doing? Um, you know, is it, is it related to what people call ESP or psychic abilities? Um, it certainly seems to be in that spectrum, um, in my opinion. And, and that's something that scientists don't, they don't um, dismiss that in terms of they, they, how can they. It's, it's there in front of them, yet at the same time they ignore it when they're trying to make their model of the brain. And so what I was doing is trying to understand what is different about people who have these abilities. What, what, how are they using their brain differently than, than, your, um, than your average person? And that's, that's a lot of what my book's about as well. And that's why I like the book so much, because not only do you provide the scientific data, but you also cite a lot of examples. But speaking of science and mainstream science, why 
does mainstream science reject the evidence? Is it ego? Is it because it doesn't fit their model? Like in the old days when some were proving that the sun didn't revolve around the earth, what is really happening? I think that, first of all, with, with science, by the time you get to the point where you are in your career, um, establishing your career, you're so invested in a particular way of seeing things, it's very hard for, for people, particularly the type of people who usually are attracted to science, that they're usually left-brained, analytical-type people. And it's harder for them, oftentimes when they get that far in their career, to be as open-minded as one needs to be. But true genius really requires um, you maintain that open-mindedness. Otherwise, you'll, you'll miss out on phenomena that's, that exists out there. So I think that that's, that's a lot of it in the way that we train scientists in this country as well. I, I run into far less of this problem in Europe and, and certainly in the um, Eastern, what used to be the countries in the Eastern Bloc. Now, the Eastern Bloc versus the Western European countries, right brain versus left brain, because I know Western cultures seem to have developed more the left brain uh, <laughs> rather than the right brain. And I think that's probably why we're missing the psychic abilities. That's, yes, yes, exactly. Our language plays a role in this. And so, for example, um, I was just talking with a woman who's Japanese recently, and she works with, she has a son who has autistic savant syndrome, and he's bilingual. And she finds that, um, that she, when she's working with people who are autistic, that they do much better when they're using the Japanese language than they are using the, um, the English language. And it's because it's a right brain, um, because they use pictures instead of, a phonetic language, they're using their right brain. And so that changes. If you're using your right brain, it actually changes how you perceive the world um, if you're mainly oriented through your right brain rather than your left brain. And I even see that in myself. It's very interesting. Um, let me just take a drink of water for a second here. Sure. When I read... Um, I'm activating my left brain because I'm reading in English. If, and then if I go and I do something um, that's a more um, right brain type activity, um, you know, like painting, um, and I'm also an artist, um, then I've kind of looked at what happens when I'm engaged in the one kind of activity versus the other. And what I discovered was, first of all, was that there's this test that you can do. Um, have you ever seen the YouTube video of the dancing? Um, there's a, a woman who's kind of twirling around dancing. Yes. And so when you're looking at her, um, the direction she's twirling in tells you something about um, which side of your brain is being activated. Correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. And so when I look at her, I can actually make her turn in whatever direction I want to. I can, and, and, and I don't know how I do it. And what I've noticed is that if I spend time reading and then I go and look at that YouTube video, I'll see it going in the direction that it would if my left brain were activated. If I go and do something artistic and then go back, she'll be twirling in the other direction. So I know that I'm actually influencing the way that my brain 
is processing external information by virtue of the very activities I use my brain for. I was going to ask you later during the show, but I just thought about this. I usually have so many things technology-wise running at the same time. I have audio music. I have a phone here. I'm writing. I'm listening all at the same time. And recently, just to add one more thing to it, if I have a PDF or I have news from the web that I want to be exposed to, I put it on a text-to-speech software. And I've learned to accelerate the speed of the voice to a point where it's probably two, three, four, five times the speed. When anybody comes to the studio and they listen to that, they say to me, are you really understanding? And it took me time. But now I've developed that to the point that even my wife got upset a few days ago because I'm so used to listening to the speed that when I'm talking to people in a normal way, I become a little bit impatient. And when I see language, as you say, is this a limiting factor to our mind? Yes. Yes, it's not only, um, I mean, the way that our, the English language is written, and this, this applies to Western languages in general, is it's written in a way that's very linear. And we have the capacity to think um, in a much more gestalt way than language actually allows us to do. And so when we're focusing on something like a picture, we can, you know, which is right-brained, you know, or we're using a language that uses pictures, um, you know, we're using our brain differently. So similarly, with you, you have rewired your brain, essentially, mm-hmm. such that you're, the way that you can process information is different from people who haven't engaged in that kind of practice. Similarly, um, when people live in a big city where there's stimulation, um, you know, like New York City, um, where there's so much stimulation and all of the sensory modalities, their brain adapts to that. And it makes going, um, you know, going into uh, the country feel very dull. I was going to say going to the countryside, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and um, going along with that is the fact that people who have gotten used to living in the country when they go into the city, it's just overwhelming for them. And it's not just a cultural thing. It's actually a, it's actually a neurological phenomenon. Their brain is actually, it has adapted to a certain environment. And so, our, so, so much of our perception has to do with how information gets filtered through our brains. And so, of course, you're going to have people, depending upon what language you've studied or what, what kind of work you do, or somebody like you who's, um, you're, you're trying to push the envelope in terms of how much, <laughs> yeah. how much of that information you can pack into that time. And so, yes, your, your, your brain is going to be different. And so that's what I'm fascinated by is what's, what's, what is that? What does that look like when we look at the imaging? Because we now have this fantastic technology where we can actually look at what parts of the brain are being active when people are engaged in certain tasks. And the question that I ask myself is when people have these skills that, um, that would be um, labeled ESP, and I'm, I'm starting to not like that word because of people have so, so many associations with yeah. it, unfortunately. Um, but whatever it is, you know, knowing information that, that 
others um, of us don't, you know, we don't have, we don't, just don't pluck it out of thin air. And to these other people, it seems like they pluck it out of thin air. You know, what's going on in, in, in their brain? And what I've found is that all of these people have um, that so far. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.